Welcome to the Heart of Healing, the pandemic episodes. I am your host, Tom Fold. In these episodes, we will meet loving, talented people who, while coping with their own pandemic stress, are offering others understanding, compassion, love, and ways to relax and even heal under the weight of current conditions. Listen with an open heart to those who, in this time of crisis, are offering their hearts and talents to us all. And today I'm very happy to have as my guest, Roger Nolan, who is a certified um, mindfulness teacher. Almost didn't get that out, Roger. Certified mindfulness <laughs> teacher and many, many, many more things. And for full transparency, so the audience knows, I attend Roger's Monday through Friday meditation class each morning. I really get a lot out of it and appreciate it. So I'm very happy to have you here so that we can chat about what it is you are doing. Welcome, Roger. Thank you, Tom. It's good to see you again. It's nice to see you again. It's only been a couple of hours. I'm very happy. That's right. That's right. Now, let me ask you the first question, which comes this way. It's something you wrote, and I find it fascinating. The work of my heart is to help others to alleviate or minimize their suffering. They needlessly cause themselves. And the piece that I think people would be really interested in hearing more about is they needlessly cause themselves. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, the way I see it is everyone is subject to legitimate loss, uh, legitimate pain, uh, and so forth. What happens is we tend to only want the opposite. We never want the loss. We only want the gain. Uh, We never want the pain. We only want the pleasure. And unfortunately, we don't get a chance to choose much of the time. You know, pain is kind of a mandatory experience in human existence. However, when we want things to be different, in other words, when I want this pain to go away, when I don't want this thing I lost to go away, that is the suffering we cause ourselves. It's bad enough that we have the loss, but then to lament about the loss and to want things to be different, that's us causing our own suffering. Right. That's us staying in the suffering. Yeah. It's, it's adding extra to what is the genuine pain. Uh, there's a parable. It's called the parable of the second arrow, and it's in a, a text called the Samyutta Nikaya, where the Buddha talks about it's as if a person were shot with an arrow and then immediately afterward were to be shot with a second arrow. They would feel two pains. They would feel the uh, physical pain and they would feel the mental pain. I don't want this. I hate the person that did this. Uh, I'm going to die. Oh no. That's the suffering we cause ourselves. Right. And what is your suggestion on how to deal with that second suffering? The pain, as you say, is inevitable, but the suffering, Mm -hmm. how do we best deal with that? Well, the antidote to that is to abandon the origins of the suffering. Now, I very simply teach this as the origins of suffering are clinging, basically, or aversion. I want to hold on to something that I've got and I don't want to let it go, or I want to not have the thing that I don't want to have, so I'm going to try to push it away. 
the way I answer that is to say, just make a, a fist and then open the hand. And as soon as you open the hand, you'll feel a relaxation and an ease. It's the difference between clinging and letting go. I'm not trying to get rid of the thing. I'm just holding it differently. But it creates a lot of space around the experience where there wasn't space before. So the origins of suffering being, let's say, clinging, opening the hand or allowing it to be as it is, will uh, either decrease or in some cases even stop that kind of suffering. You may still want the thing to be different than it is, but you want it to be different than it is in a different way. It doesn't bother you so much. Right, right. And this is wonderful wisdom. How long have you been doing this work? <laughs> uh, well, I've been a mindfulness teacher since January 2002. Uh, my teacher and mentor, Philip Moffat, encouraged me to uh, start my own meditation group. And my teacher at the time, Jack Cornfield, also gave me his verbal permission to do so. So I, I count my real teaching as starting January 2002. Uh, these practices go back for me about five years before then to about 1997, but I've also been practicing formally practicing meditation since 1973, but different styles of meditation. And, and how did you get into it? What, I mean, you didn't wake up one day or did you and say, I need to meditate? <laughs> Well, the initial spark way back in the early 70s was actually from the Beatles. You know, uh, they went so and studied. So much was with, from the Beatles. So much was from the Beatles, right. <laughs> well, I was a young man, uh, a teenager, and I heard about them doing transcendental meditation with Maharishi Mahajogi. And understanding that at the time I was living in Kansas, and this is in the early 1970s in Kansas. So there weren't a lot of places to learn about this. I tried to teach myself, but it didn't work because there really are no texts on how to do it. And then when I got to the University of Kansas in 1972, uh, I found that there was a meditation center there. So early in 73, I was initiated into transcendental meditation. Um, now, this actually is to me very interesting because I can actually move the, the timeline back to mm, I'm probably about 10 or 11 years old and I saw the movie Lost Horizon. Uh, Ronald Coleman, right. uh, Sam Jaffe, uh, among others, wonderful film. Uh, Frank Capra directed it. Beautiful, beautiful uh, late 1930s film. And uh, there's this mythical Shangri-La uh, kingdom with this guy named the High Lama played by Sam Jaffe. And he's like 120 years old or something. And I was rummaging through my junior high books uh, or a library. And I saw a book by the Dalai Lama called My Land and My People. And I thought, there are really llamas? Shangri-La really <laughs> exists? Oh, wow. So I grabbed the book and I started looking through the pictures and I started to feel this resonance with it. It's like I had been there. I have been a Buddhist monk in Tibet. I, don't, couldn't, I couldn't understand or explain the feeling, but it was very strong. And that always kind of stayed with me all through the years until I was at another bookstore called the Bodhi Tree Bookstore 
And I was rummaging around in the stacks one day and a book actually fell on me called Wherever You Go, There You Are by John Kabat-Zinn. And it just fell on you? And it actually fell on me in the summer of 1997. And the person who worked there said, saw it happen. And they said, well, if a book falls on you here, you have to buy it. <laughs> it's, a new, good a, idea. <laughs> it's a new age bookstore. Uh, unfortunately, no longer in existence. New so I market. bought the book. Hmm? Right, exactly. New way to market. Yeah. New way to market is push the book over push on people. Over. And, exactly, <laughs> right. They had two oh, yeah. people involved. Um, anyway, that, uh, that book, when I read Wherever You Go, There You Are, gave me that same feeling, that resonance. And I went, this is just like I felt when I was a kid, you know? And so I started to, uh, I got John Kabat-Zinn's tapes. He turned out to be my first teacher. He gave me my first training uh, in 2000. But the, uh, the, it, it just goes to show how all these things are interconnected through our lives. If one thing hadn't happened way back uh, 56 years ago or whenever it was, then this wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't be sitting here right now talking to you if that hadn't happened. To me, right. this, is, this is the miraculous part of living. This is the, the wonderfulness of how things happen, of the path you take or the path you don't take. Yeah. Quite wonderful because you were an actor. Were you an actor at that time? I you were an actor. At <laughs> I, that's why I came to California. Sure, I went to the University of Kansas. Uh, you know, they, the renowned acting school, the school the of University of, of Kansas. Kansas yes. Right, indeed. But, you know, I was I was pretty much the best they had to offer out of my graduating class. So you know, I thought it's either New York or L.A., and I didn't like the cold, so I moved to L.A. Um, and I had a, a after a while, I actually uh, had a very uh, I think very successful career relative to other actors, right. uh, dozens of TV shows, a smattering of feature films, hundreds of uh, television commercials, eventually getting into voiceover and animation and so forth. Um, but I haven't done that since 2008. So your meditation led you away from that. It was, it was partly, uh, yeah, I was doing a lot of yoga at the time. And then the more uh, yoga I studied, the less uh, allure the acting held for me. I just didn't have the fire in the belly anymore. Right. Well, there's, there's quite, you, want, you need that fire if you're going to keep going in the acting field. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I always, I kid because I, I the, the woman I'm married to, we met around 30 some odd years ago, she was an actress. And I was in advertising at the time, buying shows. Um, and so she had a pilot. And I looked at the pilot and I said, well, this pilot is terrible. You, however, are very good. <laughs> and I don't know whether I was trying to get a date or just being honest. I, I hope I was being honest. Um, but she said, I just can't do this anymore. I, I, every time I get on stage and have a wonderful part, the light shines through me. But after that, when I'm just going for auditions and I spend 90% of my time going for auditions, that's mm -hmm. not my path. Mm -hmm. And so she changed her path. And I, I just hear that, while it may not be the same story, you changed your path. Yeah, I did. I, I, uh, I, I, the, the, the path started to change in the early 90s and it was a, a slow fade, more like a dissolve, you know, from right. one scene to another. And uh, 
And I found uh, my, what I consider wise livelihood, which is I'm a, now a, a, a psychotherapist in private practice. I went back to graduate school in like when I was almost 50 and uh, got my master's degree in counseling psychology. And uh, now I'm a licensed psychotherapist in the Los Angeles area. And I use mindfulness a great deal, uh, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy or other programs. But it, that, uh, I, I still, it gets me out of bed every day, you know. And then to teach the Dharma, to teach the teachings of the Buddha every day, now has been just so wonderful, which to me, again, points up this causes and conditions thing about how if this hadn't happened, that wouldn't have happened. If COVID hadn't happened, we would never know each other. Correct. And right? you might not have a group of 80 some odd people who huh? come to you to see what you're doing every day and to be part of a community with you. Definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, my groups were 12, 18, if you had 18, if I had 18 people in the room meditating with me live and in person, that was a big deal. Right. You know, but now I've reached so many more people and I get so much wonderful uh, uh, love back from everybody. You know, it's, it's just been amazing. So it, it just goes to show that there's grace in everything. You know what I mean? Yes. Well, with every tragedy, there's always, someone always said, go look, Oh, it was Mr. Rogers who said, look to the help, <laughs> look to the helpers. Look to the helpers. And here we have a, may, a biggest tragedy that we've had since maybe World War II, I suppose. And how many people are, and that's why I'm doing this podcast, because I want to talk to the helpers. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to the people who are doing things because of, or in a certain different way, because of the, of the virus that's out there. And, and how wonderful it is to see some of the results. We know the difficult results, and we hear that all the time if you tune into the news, which I don't recommend, but if you do, <laughs> you, you hear that. But to hear about you, about doing this and working with all of these people, I mean, not only that, you have your weekly, weekday meditation, but you have a teaching group too that has grown out of that. Mm -hmm. And how, yeah, it's all been, of, well, it's all been extraordinarily organic. Um, uh, the, I, I had no intention to do a daily meditation. Uh, um, the yoga studio where I was teaching went out of business because of the pandemic. We were all, sh we were shut down first before they went out of business. And I thought, well, I'll just do the meditation online and see who comes. And I think the first day there were 40 some odd, odd people there. And I just, it blew me back. And I said, what is going on here? Okay, I said, well, I guess I'll be back tomorrow and then tomorrow and tomorrow and creeps in its petty pace from day to day. But anyway, the, the <laughs> and all the fools have let me never mind. We exactly, go. those guys, right, right. Um, the, the dusty death thing. Well, the uh, it's just been organic that way. And people have come to this group organically, friends have told friends or family members or whatever it might be. And uh, I have people on the call whom I've never met, whom I've never seen. I, many people leave their cameras off because I encourage people to stay safe or to feel comfortable. And many people have their cameras off. So I have people I've never met and I have people whom I've known for 50 years. You know, guys I went to, to college with and so forth come to this uh, 
meditation. So it is, it's organic. And then the teaching circle was an organic outgrowth. I asked one of the uh, folks who comes to the group named Sarah Helt, who happens to be a wonderful yoga teacher. Hey, would you like to lead some mindful movement on Thursday before I start the meditation? And she said, that sounds great. And then after that, I started to look at the sustainability of doing something like this. And I can't continue to do this alone day in and day out, five days a week. So I enlisted Sarah and uh, four other teachers who uh, had experience from the group to say, would you take a day a week, you know, and rotate the different, uh, you know, weeks and give me a day off in the middle of the week so I can catch my breath, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. You need to catch it. How many weeks has it been? You keep trying to figure it out, but it's 42 or 43 weeks. I, th I think we're into 42. Okay. Definitely so around how, two, around 210 practices. Yeah. Point. And if you multiply the weeks by five days, you say you come up with that. That's how many days you've been working at Some, this. Somewhere. Or, I mean, we've all done, you know, in, uh, other teachers have, have done that. Yeah. And I, there's no intention. We, you remember, we all thought at the beginning of the pandemic, oh, by July, certainly everything's going to be back to normal. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, here, here we are in the worst part of it. So I have no intention to stop. Um, I, it, people tell me it, it shapes their day. You know, I see so many regular people coming every day, day in and day out, and I've got to be there for them. I have no, I have no choice, really. Well, I'm so glad you are, because I have recommended this to several people who tell me how wonderful it is and thank me for showing them your work and what we're doing together as a group. That's great. But they're adding great. to it because they're adding their energy to it. No, right. And it's what my teacher, Jack Cornfield would call being passed from warm hand to warm hand. The teachings get passed in that way. That's now, nobody, nobody's touching hands right now, but isn't this amazing that we have this connectivity, this ability to connect in this way? And it, it proves that we are connected, but heck, COVID proves we're all connected. Yes. Well, that's, that's a way we'd rather not be connected, but we are. No. But right. there's an energy there. The thing about and COVID is like an energy, I suppose, too, but it's passing from person to person mm -hmm. by airborne. But there's something about this group or groups like this. I'm sure it's not limited to your group uh, mm -hmm. where the energy is compatible. You come to the group and after a couple of weeks, you go, wow. There's a community there. I feel a part of something. And this reminds me of uh, some people I've talked to and done shows with about um, this long distance healing, the healing you know, through podcasts or through you know, the use of talking over space. Um, and I think it's, it feels it. Like, do you, I imagine you feel it too, but I, I don't know. Do you feel that energy from emanating from the group? Well, a, a kind of a dirty little secret about teaching the Dharma uh, is that you actually yes. get back more than you give. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I, I feel it as a very discernible experience of presence and it, it feeds me, it opens my heart, it makes me a better person for all of the, the folks being there. Uh, I feel this if I have a, an in-person class with five or six people, it doesn't really matter. But the, 
what I get from leading these kinds of practices is much, much greater than the energy that I put out. So yeah, I, I feel it. Yeah, and that's, I'm experiencing that. I experienced by doing this show. One of the reasons I came back to do my podcast, I had stopped after six years of doing podcasts. I came back because I needed something, not just to do, but to feel, to feel connected again, which is why I do them. And you know, since I'm talking to people who are doing wonderful things, I feel the wonder of it. And that makes a great week for me to have a podcast talking to people doing good things. Oh, it's a, an incredible privilege to uh, be able to talk to people like you do and to get all that from them, you know, is, is just the most marvelous thing. It really is. I highly recommend it. <laughs> if there's anything yes, you can I do, do I, where, everyone should do it. <laughs> well, it's, it's like you find what you really love, what you really resonate with in your life that gives your life meaning and connection and hope uh, and uh, whatever else you might need, some kind of a little bit of control maybe, and all these things that help us have resilience. And then what you do becomes, uh, and, and if it's really aligned with your core values and so forth, then what you do, you give so much and you get so much. And I highly recommend finding that thing that opens your heart and not only doing it, but giving it away. Absolutely. I, I find that to be true. The reality, I won't call it my secret. It was my secret that I didn't know I had was this is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. This is what I was planning to do from college. I did radio work in college and I was mm-hmm. planning to go do it until I was convinced by the wiser adults, my parents, <laughs> that I should get a job, something that actually paid money. And my career was fine, but it wasn't my, what my heart wanted to do. And, and you were still in a career that was aligned with, with that interest, right? Yes. Advertising, you know. Absolutely. You were communicating to people. Mm-hmm. And the best part of it for me was dealing with people. Yeah. And that was good. But there's nothing quite like getting finding what you lost and bringing it back and going, yeah, this is what I like to do. Mm-hmm. That's what I get from you. I don't know that you lost it ever, but I get that sense from you that this is really what you have been meant to do all along. Uh, well, it's certainly what called me. I, I, like I say, I almost had no choice um, in doing this. There might even be a genetic imperative here. I had an uncle who uh, was a Methodist minister for many, many years and became kind of famous in his own way. And one time I was telling him about what I do and how I teach, you know, and how I have this group that meets and so forth. And, and he said, Raj, you have a ministry. And I just went, what? Wow. Now, this is a very influential uncle. And I wonder if somehow his influence when I was a child didn't, again, move me forward on some path where the spirit or the divine or whatever was in somehow calling me from that, you know, that little spark that he, right. he set off in me when I was a kid. And now later he's saying, I have a ministry. So that gave me a kind of like, oh, well, I better be serious about this. Uh, Our teachers come in all places and all sizes and all shapes. That's right. Yeah. 
It's quite I know. Wonderful. And usually where you least expect them. Yes. But if, but if everyone listening, if you look back on your life and you have that one thing or whatever it might be, and you've got, you go, wow, that's what I'd really like to do. I highly recommend you try to find a way to do it or to do something aligned with it. Uh, like Joseph Campbell said, follow your bliss. Absolutely. And this is maybe the perfect time to do it. I mean, when you're shut down from doing other things, right. now you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Go do it. <laughs> Find yeah. it. Listen, yeah. listen to, come to the meditation class and you'll meditate about it. Maybe you'll figure out what you want to do. <laughs> and I guarantee if your yes, job's yes, got you in a rut, come on down to our meditation class. <laughs> come on down. Now, how much would you pay? That's right. <laughs> Wait, yes, before it, you answer. Okay. Wait, one more, one more item. But really, it is so true that so many of us, I've, in all the talking that I did, I, the first show I did had to do with uh, people doing healing work. And how did they get to it? Because absolutely nobody started out in their early life saying, I want to be a chiropractor or I want to be a massage therapist. Mm -hmm. And many of them opened up after a long while doing, going, I'm not happy with what I'm doing and had to find out what it was they loved. And we're giving the world, or COVID is giving the world some time to find out what it is you love and then find a way to do it. And yeah, so I recommend this, and this is something I've, I've helped a lot of my clients with, and this is how I've done it, is to get still and quiet and ask the question as though you were throwing a pebble into a pond or, you know, throwing a, a paper airplane up into the air or whatever, just send the question out there. What should I do next? What would be something that would align with this interest or that would give me this? Uh, I want to, I want to have this in my life or that in my life. How can I do that? And then get still and quiet and just let that question go. And it's sort of like it sails out into the universe and eventually it comes back and an answer will be there. And you'll know it because you'll feel it. It's an actual discernible feeling of fullness. It's a lot like a gong going off inside of you. It yeah. resonates, it resonates. Yeah. Although it doesn't come back necessarily that moment. Or no, that no. Day even. You no, might be no. Walking along the street when it hits you. Yeah, yeah. But if, but if you can create the conditions for the answer to come to you, yes, it yes. will be there because now you're open to it. You're open to it is the key. Mm. Well, that brings us to, we're pretty close to ending our wonderful conversation. Mm. But before we do, if people who are listening would like to find out more about what you're doing or join the group or what, just have interest in talking to you, how can they best get in touch with you? Well, I guess my... Uh, my therapy email address is probably the easiest way, and it's simply Roger Nolan Therapy, R-O-G-E-R-N-O-L-A-N therapy at hotmail.com. At Hotmail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, hotmail I still have an old Hotmail address. Okay. Well, we, you're, you're aging yourself very nicely there. You're oh, thank you all. Thank yes, you yes, so much. <laughs> Well, that's the, I'd like, I guess, as we have to end, I'd like to talk for the rest of the day, but as we need to end, my question to you now is, what is your vision for when this particular 
pandemic is past us. What do you hope for or see? Well, I hope that we have learned something and that it sticks somehow, that we don't go back to the status quo of how it was before, which it wasn't bad necessarily, but we've learned a lot here, not just about health, but about being human and about how much connection is important and how much family is important and uh, how much being kind to each other is important and being kind to ourselves because we have to be kind to ourselves throughout this kind of process or we're going to suffer. So I hope that we learn something from this and we retain that insight. Wonderful, I share that hope with you. And I thank, thank you. you so much for being part of this program. Oh, John, Tom, thank you so much. No, I thought for a second there, I thought you were John Green. Uh, <laughs> I could have been. He's the one who got me to you. I know, I know, no. But this has been really, really great to be here and to do this. You're really an excellent interviewer, and I really appreciate the, you know, the ease with which this has been uh, put forward. So thank you. It's a great well, it's honor. It's been a delight. I've been looking forward to it, and it has fulfilled my hopes and i'm glad to be here i hope everybody who's listening feels as happy as i do to have heard you so thank Great. you for being with us thank and, you tom and thank you for to our audience for tuning in to the heart of healing the pandemic episode